Before service starts, the uh, AV team asks me, what's the title of your sermon? Because they make that the title of the YouTube live stream. So I told them the title of my sermon today is, Can I Trust the Bible? Because what I had prepared for you this morning is a basic teaching on the trustworthiness of Scripture. But God stirred my heart with something else during worship. So I'm going to give you a 30-second synopsis of that first message. And then I'm going to preach what I feel the Spirit stirring my heart today. Is that okay? Okay, here's the 30-second synopsis. You can trust the Bible. All right, now I'm going to go to actually Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. So uh, overhead team, I'm sorry. Please uh, disregard all the other scriptures I gave you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, yeah. and by this many become defiled. Looking carefully, you gotta, you gotta look carefully. Yeah. Some of us aren't looking carefully enough. Yeah. We're not looking carefully enough because we don't believe it's possible to fall short of the grace of God. Mm. This scripture is scary because it indicates that God's grace, it's possible to fall short of it. And you fall short of it if you're not looking carefully. What I want to talk about this morning is what it means to look carefully. What it means to look carefully so that you don't fall short of the grace of God. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. I ask it. I pray for open hearts. I pray for freedom in the atmosphere. I pray for joy, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Falling short of the grace of God, what does that mean? There's three different ways we can fall short of the grace of God. Number one, we can fall short of the grace of God by failing to identify it. Meaning, the grace of God was there, I just didn't see it. The grace of God was all up in my face, I just missed it. I failed to identify it. God gave me grace, and the grace surrounded me, and it overwhelmed me, and it lifted me up to a new place. I just never saw it. I never identified it as grace. I didn't realize that what God actually did there was he graced me with something that was beyond me, something that was not the fruit of my labor, not the fruit of my expertise or my hard work or my intellect. It was just grace. And so the first way to make sure that you don't fall short of the grace of God it's just to recognize it, to be looking carefully for the grace, looking carefully in every situation and saying, what's the grace of God in this situation? 
What is God holding out to me in this situation? What is God offering me in this situation? I've got to identify grace lest I fall short of it. Looking carefully for what? For grace. Second way that it becomes possible for me to fall short of the grace of God. Y'all seem scared right now. Let me just break that off the crowd right now because this, this ain't a bad sermon. This is not, a, this is not like a, a, a hellfire and brimstone. So just, just relax. Take a deep breath. Whew. Okay, we're going to be all right. All right, we're going to be all right. Second way that we can fall short of the grace of God is by failing to receive it. So first you don't identify it and then you don't receive it. I know this is God's grace. I'm just not open to receive it. My heart's not open. I knew it was grace. I knew I didn't deserve it. I knew God was offering it to me, but I just can't seem to find it within my heart to receive it. I was talking to um, a, a, a pastor, an older pastor, recently, and he was telling me about, about a situation with a young man who had fallen in his congregation in a very, very public and catastrophic way. And he said he fasted and he prayed for that young man and he called him in before the elders and they were praying over this young man and he said, while we were praying, I just felt this prophetic word, this powerful, it was, he said, if I could take all the prophetic words that I've ever released in my life and rank them, this one would be in the top three in terms of the clarity, the precision, and the power of God that I knew was gonna be manifested in that word. And he said, I stood up and stood over him and I gave him both barrels. He said, I released that word with greater clarity, with greater anointing and with greater power than, in, than I could have. It, it, it just, it was, it was, this was the best Jesus I had. Yeah. And he said, I looked into his eyes and it didn't even move him. Not an inch. And that man got up and walked out of that meeting and went and did all of the things that this man was trying to prevent him from doing rescue him from doing. The grace was there, he just couldn't receive it. The grace was communicated, he just couldn't, if he would have just opened his heart and received it. But he couldn't receive it for some reason. That grace, he, and there's no way he couldn't have recognized it as grace. It wasn't secret hidden grace. It wasn't the kind of grace that we can, you know, take for granted and not even realize till later, wait a minute, I shouldn't have got that job. That was grace. Hold on a second. I never asked for that contract. That was grace. Wait a minute. I don't deserve that wife. That was grace. Hold on a second. I don't deserve that husband. That was grace. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, that was grace. That was grace. Identifying it. Sometimes it takes a while to identify it. But then there's other times where it's right up in your face and you know it's grace, but you still can't receive it. Because making a decision in that moment to receive the grace of God requires humility. Had that young man just humbled himself in that moment and received the grace of God, he could have been spared. But instead, he fell short of it. Why? He couldn't receive it. The third way we fail to, we fall short of the grace of God is by not responding to it. You got to recognize it. You got to receive it. And then you've got to respond to it. So God approaches Abraham and says, get up out of your father's house. Go to the place I'll show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham didn't just say, wow, God, I received that. 
and then stay where he was, which is what a lot of believers do. Hear a powerful message, powerful sermon, powerful worship. Ooh, wow, amen, hallelujah. But I'm not changing nothing. Speak a prophetic word. Ooh, I received that. Mm, I received that. Mm, I received that. But I ain't about to respond to that. Abraham had to respond to that word by actually getting up out of his father's house and going to the place that God would send him. Otherwise, he would have fallen short of the grace that was offered him. And we often fall short of the grace of God by failing to recognize it, or failing to receive it, or failing to respond to it. Now, I can promise you that if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you can look back on your life, and you can put your finger on areas in your life, where you, and I could put my finger on areas in my life where I say, that time I didn't recognize it, that time I didn't receive it, that time I didn't respond to it, that time I neither recognized, received, nor responded to it, <laughs> right? That time I recognized and received it, but didn't respond to it, right? Like all of us in some way, shape, or form have fallen short of the grace of God. But thankfully, he giveth more grace. That this message is not a message of condemnation for what happened yesterday. It's a message of preparation for what's finna happen tomorrow. The question is why? Like what? I mean, why would anybody not want to recognize, receive, or respond to God's grace? Like, why? I mean, it's God, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. It's God who loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have... I mean, we're talking about the one who died for us, the one who raised Jesus Christ from the grave. We're talking, we're talking about the spirit of grace. This, why would I not want to recognize, respond to, or receive or respond to the grace of God? Well, the author takes it a step further. He says, lest any root of bitterness... Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, that comma after God, indicates that what follows is a restatement or a further explanation of what he just said. Which means falling short of the grace of God is equivalent to allowing a root of bitterness in your heart to spring up and cause trouble. If there's anything that blocks us from identifying, receiving, and responding to the grace of God, it's bitterness. 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 So powerful. Bitterness is far more powerful than we know. Bitterness is the way the enemy outwits believers every day. There's a passage where Paul forgives somebody in the Corinthian church. He said, let's just forgive this person quickly because we're not unaware of the enemy's schemes. What's he saying? If I don't forgive this person quickly, bitterness is going to take root in my heart and the enemy will have have outwitted me. That's how he outwits me, with bitterness. So I got to deal with my forgiveness issues quickly 
so that my unforgiveness does not become bitterness because once my unforgiveness becomes bitterness, I'm blinded to the grace of God so that I cannot recognize it. Or my heart is hardened to the grace of God so that I cannot receive it. Or my will is bound to the grace of God so that I cannot respond to it. Paul talks about, well, Jesus talks about this actually in terms of divorce. When in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees asked him, or the Sadducees asked him, can a man divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever? And Jesus said, you know, Moses gave you guys that because of the hardness of your hearts. Did you hear what he said there? He said, well, Moses said all we got to do is write her a certificate of divorce and we can send her away. And Jesus said, yeah, Moses said you could do that because of the hardness of your heart. But that's not what God intended. Have you not read that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore what God has put together let no man separate. This is not condemnation if you've been divorced. He giveth more grace. And some of you in here are divorced and it wasn't you who was hard hearted and left. So this is not an attack. But this is simply an expression of the fact, as Bishop Kirby says, that the strength of marriage is forgiveness. Why? Because if I don't forgive, unforgiveness becomes bitterness. And bitterness becomes a root that springs up and causes trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Two weeks before my and mine and Sonny's wedding, my dad calls me. He says, I'm flying into uh, Long Beach Airport. I need you to come down and pick me up. Sonny and I were living in Southern California, attending Fuller Seminary at the time. Not living together, by the way. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I go down and I pick him up at Long Beach Airport I said what are you doing here dad he goes I'm here to spend the day with you I said why are you here to spend the day with me he said because there's some stuff we got to talk about because you're getting married in a couple weeks and I'll never forget it this is the core of what he said the most important thing you can do is forgive your wife quickly because unbelie un unforgiveness will poison your heart, and it may not kill your marriage in the first year, but it can kill it in the 15th year. And oftentimes, what kills marriages in the 10th or 15th year started in the first year, and it wasn't dealt with. Don't allow bitterness in your heart towards your wife. That's all he told me. He didn't tell me how to deal with her when she's crazy. He, I mean, he didn't give me any advice on anything else. He just said... Don't let your heart become bitter. 2004, January 3rd, 2004, the night before our church was born, my dad called me on the phone. He said, son, we got to talk. Your church is going to be born tomorrow. I have one word of advice for you. And he told me a story of a pastor who used to preach angry. And he preached one angry sermon, and the church loved it. Yeah. So he preached another one. 
And the church loved it. And he preached, and the church started to grow. Come out and hear this man. He's the angriest person you've ever heard. And the people loved it. They amened his anger. It was, and the church began to grow and grow and grow and grow. And one Sunday he was driving to the church, and another angry sermon was brewing in his head. He's angry at the Democrats or angry at the Republicans or ang whoever he's angry at. He's just angry at this group or angry at the gays or angry at the straights or angry at the blacks or the whites. Angry at somebody. I got to be mad at somebody to preach. And the Lord spoke to his heart and said, do it one more time and you're done. <laughs> Which is the grace of God which is the grace of God. He recognized the grace. He received the grace, and he responded to that grace, humbled his heart, and he got up that Sunday morning and confessed to the church, I've been preaching angry for years. But it stops today. And my dad said to me, I'll never forget, he said, son, if you allow yourself to preach out of bitterness, it can actually build your ministry. It can actually make your church grow. But in the end, it will destroy your ministry. Yeah. If there's one thing I can tell you as a pastor, do not allow bitterness to grow in your heart. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that he gave me the same word of counsel for my marriage as he did for my ministry? Yeah. Bitterness cuts me off from the grace of God. Yeah. Bitterness clouds my judgment. Bitterness closes my eyes. Bitterness puts a blockade around my heart so that even when I do recognize that God's trying to give me grace, I can't open the door and let it in. Not till I deal with that bitterness. Not till I allow him to suck that poison out of the wound in my heart. In order to let that grace come in, I've got to come before the altar of the Lord and get on my knees and say, God, remove the bitterness from my heart. Heal the bitterness from my heart. And it's so hard to do that because I've allowed my heart to just soak in what has been done to me or what was not done to me or what wasn't done for me or what was done to me or what I should have got that I didn't get and what I did get that I shouldn't have gotten. And I can't let it go. And it's killing me. Yeah. It's not even killing the people that I'm mad at. Yeah. It's a common saying that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah. I'll show you. <laughs> I'm so mad at you right now, I'm going to drink me some arsenic. But it gets actually a little bit deeper. Because I suspect it's a bit easier for believers to become bitter than it is for unbelievers. There's a contradiction that is really difficult for us believers to deal with. But dealing with it is the only path to spiritual maturity.
falling short of the grace of God, we don't realize that there's more than one grace. That in every moment of pain, in every moment of hardship, in every moment of suffering, two graces are offered to me. The grace of God and the grace of Satan. You know, Satan has grace. You know what grace is, right? Unmerited favor. Something you get for free that you don't even have to work for. Satan has favor. He has grace. Remember, there was a young man in our congregation years ago who had gotten saved, given his life to Jesus, was trying to break free from his, his, uh, his marijuana habit. And he said he was walking home from prayer meeting one night. Hallelujah. And on the floor, on the ground, what did he find? A bag of weed for free. No one around. Somebody just happened to drop a bag of marijuana on his path. And he said, he said thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's satanic grace. The very thing you're trying to break free from, I got, I got some more for you. And it's free. Bitterness makes me more susceptible to the grace of Satan. And that's why I fall short of the grace of God. Because bitterness makes me susceptible to the grace of Satan. Bitterness makes the grace of Satan seem palatable to me. Yeah. What did the serpent say to Eve? Right? Has God really said, you shall surely die? God knows that in the day you eat of this fruit, you'll become like him. God is holding out on you. And suddenly when deception triggered in her mind, that thought that God's holding out on me, there's something God should have given me that he didn't give me. There's something God's trying to block me from possessing. That's bitterness. And all of a sudden it said, when she saw the fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes that it was sweet to the taste, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. All of a sudden, the grace of Satan became more tantalizing to her than the grace of God. Yeah. Because what was the grace of God offered to her in that moment? Say no. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is the distinction between the grace of God and the grace of Satan. The grace of Satan offers you a short path. The grace of God offers you a long road. The grace of Satan says, eat this fruit and it will satisfy you immediately. Take this door and your pain is over right now. But the grace of God says, walk through this door and walk with me and your pain will not immediately stop. Your problems will not immediately be fixed. I offer you a long road and there will be much pain and suffering on that road. But I promise, I'll be with you. And the grace of Satan says, eat this fruit and you will immediately feel better. But only for a moment. And then you'll be cast back into the same pit that you were in. Only a deeper part of that pit.
We used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. We had no clue what it meant. No clue that there's a million ways we turn back. Yeah. No clue that the decision to follow Jesus means making the decision to follow him down the long and winding road. When God, see, this is the thing. God comes to Abraham and says, get out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you and I'll make of you a great nation and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abram obeys and goes thinking it's all going to happen in about three weeks. Not realizing that it's a long and winding road. That he gets there and the land is barren. Then he goes to Egypt and has to lie to save his wife and then comes back to the barren land and dwells with his barren wife for 20 years before the promise even begins to be fulfilled. It's a long and winding road. And at a certain point, he wants off the long and winding road. That's where Hagar comes in. The grace of Satan. Let's do this, let's do this quicker because it's taken God too long. Let's figure this out ourselves because God doesn't seem to be doing it for us. And, and for some reason, it seems that, especially in America, the scripture that believers believe in the most is God helps those who help themselves, which is a scripture that's not even in the Bible. You think of Moses where God meets him at the burning bush and says, go stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go and take this stick and with it, you're going to smite the Egyptians and you're going to bring them out and going to worship on this mountain. And Moses thinks it's going to happen in 45 minutes. Instead, he goes and says what God told him to say to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, no. And 10 plagues later. It begins to happen, and now they got their backs to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army's coming at them, and Moses is like, God, what's going on? He doesn't realize it's a long and winding road. That prophetic words are a prophetic summary or a prophetic synopsis of what God's going to do, but it does not speak to the length of time, and bitterness can begin to take root in our hearts when we're trying to force God to do quickly what he has determined to do slowly. You cannot walk with Jesus unless you have submitted in your heart, surrendered in your heart to walk with him on the long and winding road. He offers a long road. 
And sometimes the grace of Satan seems so much more tantalizing because he, I, think, I think Satan actually sat with some of these companies and helped them write their logos and, and their, their, their slogans, you know, your way right away. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Have it your way right away. Right? Obey your thirst. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like, that's so satanic. It's right now. It's right. You can have it right. You can have what you want right now. And then we try to even Christianize that and spiritualize that. We come up with these doctrines that just name it and claim it. Just fluff it and stuff it. Just, just speak it this way. And, and then we, if it doesn't work, then we come, oh, well, you got to use your right hand instead of the left hand. You got to raise your hand like this. All these ways to try to manipulate God into giving it to me quick. I want it now, and I want what I want, and I want it now, and if God doesn't give it to me, God, I can't believe, what, what's wrong with you? Remember, my wife and I were barren for nine years before Lathy was born, and one of our friends came to visit us somewhere around the seventh year, and she's like, you guys still don't have a child? And my wife says, no, we don't. She said, I resent God for that. I resent God for that. If anyone deserves a child, it's you. I resent God for that. And my wife said, what? The, the, the one who gave his life for me? You resent him for not giving me a baby? You resent? No, we don't resent God. That root of bitterness, it's going to spring up and cause trouble. And it's going to defile many. And guess what happens? All of a sudden, I can't even recognize God's grace anymore. And I definitely can't receive it. Yeah. And I definitely can't respond to it. Yeah. But the grace of God begins mm. at the place where we recognize yeah. that when God invites you on a journey, it will take longer than you think. Just embrace that in your heart. Yeah. It's, he does not, God does not do quick road trips. When he invites you on a journey, it's not a day trip. It's going to take longer than you think. It's going to be more difficult than you think. But this is the promise. This is the key. Number one, he will be with you on every step. You see, we talk so much about the presence of, ooh, I just want the presence of God. Ooh, I want the presence of God. The presence is with you on the long and winding road. You can't depart from the path and then claim the presence. Do we forget that he said, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name, your mind. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. If you're not willing to walk with him through the waters, you're not getting his presence. His presence is for those who are willing to walk with him through the waters and through the fires and over the mountains and through the seas, wherever he leads. What we tend to try to do is try to use prayer to get him to change his mind about the road that he's leading us on. We try to use prayer to like kind of hack into his GPS and change the address. And the, the, the scary thing is, sometimes that works. It sure worked for Abraham for a moment. But in the end, what did it do? 
there's still trouble in the world because of that shortcut. And some of us right here in this room and even on the live stream and listening to this, even from years to come, you can look back on your life and say, so much of the trouble that I'm experiencing right now is because of a shortcut I took 20 years ago. And you know what God says? That may be true, but I got some more grace. Just take the new grace I'm giving you and don't look for a shortcut. Yeah. One of the Holocaust survivors was a clinical psychologist. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl. This is what he said in that book, one of the things he said in that book. He said, there was a group of individuals in the Holocaust that every day he would hear them say things like, we're going to be rescued this month. We're going to be rescued this month. Another one would say, we're going to be rescued by the end of the summer. That was faith, right? Standing in faith. Well, then when they didn't get rescued by the end of the month or by the end of the summer, whatever they were believing for, despair set in. And he said, most of those people died. And they died of despair. He said, but it dawned on me and a number of others at a certain point that we have no idea how long this is going to be. Yeah. So we are not going to set our hope on a date. Yeah. We leave the date of the deliverance to God. We simply trust yeah. that he's with us. Yeah. Lord, I don't care how long I have to walk this road. You are with me. Yeah. I don't care how long, Lord, you know. And this is the beautiful thing that the, the the long and winding road. You take the door of the grace of Satan. You get momentary relief and then drop back in the same pit. Yeah. But you take the grace of God, even though it's a long and winding road. Every step you take is a step further away from that pit. And at the end of the road, you realize that God led you on a long and winding road so that he could take you as far away from that pit as he possibly could, that a short path could never get you away from that pit. And suddenly you realize that where God has led you is to a mountaintop that is so far above, so far beyond, and so safe from that pit that you'll never find yourself in it again. When God leads you on a journey, It'll take longer than you think. It'll be more difficult than you expect. Yeah. But the destination is so much sweeter than you could ever imagine. Yeah. Just stay on the road. Just stay on the path. Just stay on the boat. Just don't leave the path. Don't walk away. Don't turn away. Don't quit. That's the word that was burning in my heart during worship today is to tell somebody, to encourage somebody who's on the brink of quitting, on the brink of walking away, that don't quit. Stay on the path. I know you had expectations, and I know you're disappointed, but don't. I'm telling you, God is with you on this path. And he's going to be with you, and he's not going to leave you, and he's not going to forsake you, and he's going to bring you to the place that he's promised. He's going to fulfill his promises towards you, but don't quit. Don't give up. It's going to get so sweet. You just don't quit. Don't give up.
Amen. Amen. That's the word. Let's pray. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you that there's folks under the sound of my voice right now, not only in this room, but in the live stream, who recognize your grace in this moment. That right at the moment where they were thinking of quitting, your grace interrupted the regularly scheduled programming today to speak directly to those individuals. And if that's you, I, I, need, I just need you to know how important that means you are to God how significant you are to him. You're so important to him that he disrupted my sermon today. He said, Benjamin, put all of your preparation aside. I've got something else for you to say. Why? Because these specific individuals are that important to me. That's grace. That's the grace of God. But Father, I thank you that there's not only grace to recognize, but to receive. Grace to receive. Grace, turn on that altar music. I believe in God. Father, I thank you that we are receiving your grace right now. And Father, I thank you we're going to respond to it. And we respond to that grace by just making a conscious decision. Not another day will I say yes to the grace of Satan. That lie has been exposed. It's been exposed. It's been exposed. It dumps me in the same pit. But I'm going to say yes to the grace of God. And Lord, I thank you that today you offer us the long road. Maybe some of us even today are just beginning that road. But I just, I just heard you speak so clearly this week. I offer you the long road. I offer you the long road. But I'll be with you every step. I will not leave you. Yes, the road is long, but I'm there. I will be with you. I will walk it with you. You will not walk alone. Lord, I'd rather be on a long road with you than in a pit by myself. And so, Father, strengthen your people today as we walk that long and winding road that we might recognize your grace, that we might receive your grace, that we might respond to your grace. And I pray, Father, that you would take out your Holy Spirit shovel right now and dig deep in our hearts to uproot that spirit of bitterness that would blind us to your grace. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. And right now, actually, under the sound of, we're going to just linger there for a minute because some of you need to come to the altar and get on your knees. Some of you have been battling bitterness and fighting against bitterness. And some of you have been wallowing in bitterness. This is a moment of freedom from bitterness right now. You gotta make a decision. God, I'm gonna deal with that thing that blocks my heart, that keeps your grace on the outside. I'm gonna deal with that callous over my heart. Lord, this morning, take from us that, that stony heart and replace it with the heart of flesh because Lord, you promised to do so. You said, I will take from you the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Take that stony heart away from us today. Give us a fleshly heart, a fleshy heart, not a fleshly heart. Put your spirit in us. Let us live. Father, I pray that bitterness would just melt right now. Just melt, melt bitterness today. Melt it by sprinkling the sugar of the Holy Spirit over it. Cut right through that bitterness. Just a little bit of Holy Spirit honey. Mmm.
Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the honeycomb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. Lord, wisdom is the honey of the spirit that just cuts right through the bitterness of the flesh. Let that honey of the Holy Spirit just cover our hearts today. Coat our hearts with the honey of your word. I thank you for it, Father. I give you all the praise. I give you all the glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen, amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Come on, would you give God a shout of praise right now? Stand to your feet. You got it? You got it? You got it. I felt it. I just sensed that that, that word just locking into hearts. That's real. Lift your hands to the Lord. And now may the God of peace, who through the eternal spirit brought forth from the grave, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he be with you as you walk the long and winding road. And may he bring you to the place that he has promised. May it be sweeter than you might ever imagine. And may he give you the grace to walk that road with him until it is finished. In Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name, I pray these things. Amen. Give God one shout of praise. God bless you. We're dismissed. Thank you.